You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. Now sleep till T H E begins numbers. S O V begins numbers. P O D. You tarot walking chumps, welcome to the seventh exquisite episode of T H E S O V P O D. The T H E stands for the, and we are the shot on video podcast. On this, the seventh entry of the show, we can now announce that this whole fucking time, episode zero until now constitutes as the fourth Cloverfield film. Yes, that's right. Daddy Dereger teamed up with super producer J.J. Abrams and the two decided that the Sovpod, if you will, would be the perfect fourth film in the franchise, despite, of course, us, a podcast, not really being a movie at all, but fuck it. We're just happy to be here and get some of that bad robot money. For those keeping score at home, there's Cloverfield 2008, 10 Cloverfield Lane 2016, The Cloverfield Paradox 2018, The Sov Pod, or T-H-E-S-O-V-P-O-D. Technically, we are fucking 2017, but the canon is calling it 2018. Then, you know, whatever the fuck the Nazi Clovey thing is later this year. Then whatever the, the, the malign shelved project that Bad Robot can shoehorn their mythology into, etc., etc., etc. All right, now, with the big announcement out of the way, let's roll in to the show, man. I'm Mike Delaney, and you're not, and joining me now forever and always is a man I would adore across all realities and franchises. That is Mr. Brad Freak Flag Flying Henderson. How the fuck are you, baby girl? I'm good, baby. How about you? I'm so fucking hot for you, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling good with this morning wood, yeah, I'm drinking coffee, like you probably should, it might give me shit, but that won't stop me from kissing on your nicks. Yes, Brad and I are recording in Brooklyn this morning. Sadly, it's not the same Brooklyn many of the cast and crew of Burglar from Hell hail from. We are recording in Brooklyn, Oregon. Funding fell through after after last week's episode. Arby's is pulling the pocketbook back a bit until they see more folks tweeting at them about our show and they, 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 they told us they want to see more folks supporting the Patreon. Brad, the hot rod, tell us what we need to know about helping th- the pod. We got our Patreon, and you get prizes if you donate a dollar. Like we said before, if you donate a dollar per month, first off, you give us a boner. Second, you enter yourself into every contest we have, that is, um, you know, drawings for, for DVDs and Blu-rays, uh, it, things unmanageable. You can't even think about what we're going to be giving away. 
Arby's gift cards, boxes of moon pies. I mean, so much to give out here. And, like I said, you give us boners. And we'll also be doing some extra episodes here and there uh, for for our patrons. So, yeah, a lot lot to look forward to. And hey, Ma, look, top of the world, diving right off the high dive and into the deep end of SOV. Today, we are talking about 1993's Burglar from Hell. But first up, a delightfully charming shot on video gem from Canada, 1995's Phobe, the Xenophobic Experiments. Like... All great SOV showings, we have prepared quite the menu to pair with these masterworks. Cue that copyrighted theme. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Quite stylish. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. What is a boy to do? Frazier has Brad, anyone that has listened to the show knows you're our resident Wolfgang Amadeus fuck. What's on the menu for phobe, lover boy? Well, I'm going to do that two birds, one stone. I'm going to satisfy your appetite for destruction with one suggestion to eat that goes into both of these films. And you know, you must pay attention. I'm not talking about those single serving mac and cheese dinners. I'm talking about the deluxe Stouffer's mac and cheese dinner for four but you're going to be eating it yourself through two films you can eat half while watching phobe and then you let it just sit and get a little and you pop it in the microwave again that other half Mm. Mm. or you can just be a total fat ass and eat all of it which i'm not gonna lie i may have done one or two times in my life I don't buy those single-serving things because I end up fixing two. And Stouffer's ain't cheap. And I am a macaroni and cheese aficionado. Like, I love mac and cheese about as much as I love tacos. And I tell you what, all through my years of having so many different mac and cheese from restaurants, you know, even a mac and cheese restaurant itself I've been to, I've had every brand you can think of. But, man, Stouffer's does it good. Hailing from the greater East Bay area, I must say that the homeroom mac and cheese in Oakland, California is the motherfucking shit. And hanging out there after some late night shows at the at the theaters, man, those carbs fill you up. But here, let me ask you this, Brad. Here, here's my thing about that that microwavable mac and cheese. Like, I understand the craft where you have the powdered cheese product and you add it into the butter and the milk and you stir it and it becomes like a saucy sauce, all right? I get that. I get the the the, the fucking weird little powdered shit that's on the individual, like, cup of noodle type mac and cheese, also by Kraft, by the way, where 
the, the it starches up the water and makes like a thick, thicky thickness. And then you add the cheese and then eh, the, then there's that. And I get the Velveeta thing where you pour in the <laughs> where you jerk off the pack of the mac and cheese and you put it in there. And uh, and then that becomes the, the saucy sauce to the Mackey Mac. Here's what I don't get when you when you bake it. Have you ever baked one of these bread in the oven? Motherfucker, who the fuck puts it in the microwave, though? Except for literally this show when you were like, between movies, put the shit in the microwave. Bitch, that shit always goes in the oven. What you talking about? Except for literally this show when you were like, between movies, put the shit in the microwave. I always, every show I've ever said. Except for literally this show when you were like, between movies, put the shit in the microwave. You do not put the following in the microwave bagel bites arby's gift cards boxes of moon pies bagel bites a dollar a boner bagel bites listen bagel bites pizza rolls mac and cheese dinners anything that gives the option for microwave oven toaster oven conventional oven whatever it may be it's always the oven in your house. No microwave, son. Nope, 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 nope. Absolutely not. You you think we're disagreeing, but I think we agree 100%. My question is a bit more scientific, okay? Now, I don't know scientifically if Stouffer's recommends that they, they have the film on while you bake or if you take the film off off while you bake or if it's that weird fucking in between where they can't decide one way or the other you pull you pull the film back while you bake now look knowing what i know thinking what i think feeling how i motherfucking feel i want to take the film completely off nope uh when you make those in the oven you do not peel the film back you do not poke holes in the film you leave that film on there and you bake it. You leave the film on and you bake. I don't have anything to add to this recipe except for, of course, Diet Coke. Hey, what's up, heroin addicts? And a little sriracha because I like to mix the sriracha in with my mac and cheese. Now, Brad, let's jump right into it. Our first film is Phobe Colon. The Xenophobic Experiments, 1995. Born 2381C, Planet Mandora. Test tube number 1662380, occupation classified. License to terminate. By the way, why do you wear those glasses even when we're inside? And my eyes, well, they glow yellow. Tell us about this. Go. This is 
Mike said it was delightful in the beginning, and that that's what I uh, agree with 100%. Phobe is one of those shot-on-video films that has an incredible amount of heart, mainly because it's the kind of the younger crowd making it like we have, like our maybe our Apollonia brothers in the beginning of their career, actually throughout their career, I'm, I could say. Um, but Phobe, there's just this, you could feel the camaraderie, behind behind the film it's all diy it's taking pieces of metal and wrapping black electrical tape around it and making a gun it's that type of stuff it's it's whatever you have around you i was even uh reading about one part where they have the uh, the tracker that uh, apparently the ball broke in the middle and they replace it with a tomato you know just things like that uh, that's what you're kind of getting into but Unlike our slasher films and stuff like that in our uh, Gorehound shot on video films, which is kind of the route that a lot of these go, we have a sci-fi movie, which is even harder to do than uh, I would even say a shot on video drama because you have to have so much, um, like we talked about Blonde Death. With, with those films, you have to have a compelling script. You have to keep people entertained because you're not blasting special effects everywhere. You're not throwing blood everywhere. So you have to, you have to have, and when you do sci-fi, sci-fi is one of the hardest things to do, mainly because you don't want it to look wonky. It's uh, always a higher budget because you have to make it look like it's futuristic. Well, in Phobe, they pull that off, <laughs> but they pull it off with like, you know, computer graphics, which you would see on your computer, um, uh, like uh, kind of your cinematic parts of like a computer game is the special effects in this film when they have ships. It's very uh, like Dark Star with uh, O'Bannon and um, Carpenter where, you know, they have a, <laughs> you know, in that movie they have a a beach ball as uh, one of the monsters and they have like those muffin pans that you, you flip over and then you paint and it looks like it's keys on a, on a fucking keyboard, that type of thing for, um, for Phobe. But along with like dark star and Phobe, you can, you can tell kind of this buddy, uh, buddy filmmaking business, uh, you know, behind and on front of the screen. And that's what makes Phobe so fun. And like I said, again, delightful. And we're talking like a budget, the budget was incredible. Incredibly small for this too, wasn't it? It was, it was about two hundred and fifty dollars, my friend. Yeah. So to anybody to make a sci-fi movie, whether it looks cheap or or nah, this is two hundred fifty dollars well spent. If you know who Shane Abbas is, this is like the Shane Abbas of shot on video films. Watch Osiris Child, and you know what I'm talking about. It's it's almost like the Disney Channel shot on video movie. It's it's made for 100%. families. It's made it's made for it's made for uh. It was it was for Canadian television. And if there's anything we know about Canadians, man, they are fucking nice. Now, couple things here. Uh, the director, what's her name? Erica Bendicti. All right, she worked for a Canadian public access television station. And that's that's how she was able to afford a lot of the time and uh, get a lot of the equipment to to make this particular film. Now, <laughs> it's it's not that because of her relationship to this television station, she was able to get it uh, broadcast, you know, to the greater part of Calgary or whatever later. It's because of the actual film itself. Now, uh, we didn't get too much into the plot, but it plays like a shot on video for all audiences 
Predator. Am I totally wrong? Or is it more Terminator or is it more Alien? But it's definitely somewhere there. It's definitely T2 meets Predator or Predator meets T2. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it it, def- it definitely starts off with uh, the Predator vibe. But I mean, the whole futuristic going back uh, not through time, but the futuristic uh, dab, you know, with his with his uh, <laughs> glasses and his and his jacket. Um, yeah, we're definitely uh, riffing off kind of like this this punk cyberpunk T uh, two type thing. And the he and the that guy is, of course, the director's cousin who worked with him uh, previously on her first film. This is the second film in a series of a few films of Erica... Benedicti. Benedicti. There we go. Look, there's all the consonants, no vowels. Everything is xenophobic in my mind right now. That So xenophobia, Brad, that means the fear of aliens. Yes, they explain that in the film. You know that. Yes, they explain that in the film. Yeah, they explain it in the film. When she looked up what uh, xenophobe meant, she thought that meant uh, primarily outer space alien. She didn't know it meant, like, domestic, earthly alien uh, culture. I did not know that, but thank you, Mike. <laughs> You're welcome. And there, there's also, I guess, I, I was not a big fan of... Did you play a lot of CD-ROM games, Brad? I played... Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say I played a lot, but I played a few, but I played them often. What What was the one with... Uh, what was the one with Malcolm McDowell and Tim Curry? Was that a Starship Star Quest? Uh, Commander? Star... Star wait Star Quest no Star Commander what what was it Um well I'm familiar with I think it was called Star Quest I guess that wasn't really in the 90s um my big CD-ROM games that I played was uh one was called Earth Siege 2 which I fucking loved it was uh probably like 96 the same year that like Duke Nukem came out uh for PC so, but Earth Siege 2 was great because you had like a team of, it was a video game like Robot Jocks is where you were a pilot and you got into a big like mech warrior and you hunted down other uh, teams and it was a lot of fun. And you could uh, actually build out your own, um, you know, weaponry and you could talk to your other teammates, give them orders, you know, and then you'd have to like beat up a base, shoot things out of the air. It was a lot of fun, but the cinematics was very much like uh, kind of the cutscenes in in Phobe when they have the space station and spacecraft and stuff. That's where I want to stop for a second. So those cutscenes, the ones that we see on the Intervision DVD, Intervision, of course, an imprint of Severn Films, please go out and buy all their shit. It is fantastic. Sinfuldwarf.com, motherfucker. Those CGI animatics our special edition. That was not how it was originally presented. Oh, I did not know that. I, I, this is, this is one of these films that I, I was the first time I saw was, um, for, uh, on the, on this DVD. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And the, the DVD came out maybe less than two years ago. It almost like Star Trek, the original series or subsequently Star Trek, the next generation phobe, the xenophobic experiments is presented in kind of like a special edition. 
But what was cool is, and like Brad is saying, a lot of the special effects that were added back into the movie were done in the style of these CD-ROM video games uh, that sort of kind of not really inspired Phobe. In, in 1995, the director talks about how the original footage, like how that was primarily generated through uh, G.I. Joe, quote unquote, because that's kind of like what we use to refer to any, you know, male action figure generated through G.I. Joe's like in, in these spacecrafts. And now we have these great Amiga. Yeah, I believe. I, Does that sound familiar? Yeah, I believe that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Amiga, like just a very general uh graphics creation program where these these primal or whatever you would call it these primitive uh special effects were were created but um very cool that like when they did this special edition for intervision they updated the graphics to the the era that the movie was made it is also a great transition to our first commercial break or maybe it's our second third or fourth commercial break i don't know because today's show is brought to you by jj abrams producer of the cloverfield franchise and mission impossible be right back bitches the syndicate is an army trained to do what we do you've met your match They're coming after us with everything they've got. On July 31st... You want to bring down the syndicate? It's impossible. When the enemy is your equal... You recognize anyone? These dead operatives aren't really dead. This is your worst nightmare. Oh, boy. Risk everything. Here they come! This may very well be our last mission. Let's make it count. Oh, my God! Theaters and IMAX July 31st. Going back to Phobe, I uh, there the certain we talked about kind of the the family aspect behind it. Um, but the things I like about Phobe is that you would for anybody that is an inspiring filmmaker, Phobe reminds you of being a kid wanting to make your own movie, or just even being with your friends and uh, doing pretend gunfights and things like that. Uh, getting whatever you could find in your dad's garage or, or your friend's garage and, and putting it together to make up some type of weapon. Um, you know, whether it was like taking a pipe and putting some black electrical tape on it for a handle and that, you, that was your shotgun or something like that. Um, but, but all those elements are, are in phobe and, and, and it works. And what's even cooler is that this kind of this, Sci-fi playground film um, is directed by a, a woman and written by a woman, and uh, basically she did everything behind it, um, which is another cool thing because we have so many films that are even in kind of this man's playground. You have this girl that comes along and makes a shot on video um, sci-fi film, which it's just that even makes it even more charming th- than before. Um, but yeah, I, I love all the elements that they are inspired by. Um, I love the phobe, uh, predator character that, that comes around. Uh, but every sci-fi movie that you can think of from the early, uh, from the late eighties until the early nineties, those elements are, you know, borrowed f- from those movies and put into this. So that's what I'm even, it's even more process of, of making this film makes you even like it more because you can relate to it as any sci-fi 
uh, geek or even someone that watches watches those movies, you can watch them do this and and what they in the process that they were had in mind and what they were going through, and that's another reason I like Faux. But rewatching it recently, I uh, got to the credits. And I was just sitting there, and there's this song that comes on. And I was like, man, this song is, you know, kind of fun. But then I start paying attention to the credits. Did you happen to pay attention to the credits? Mm -hmm. Bradley, freak, flag, flying, Henderson. My friend, if there's one thing you know about me, my lover, it's that when words are printed on the screen, I'm a big fan of literacy. And I will sit there and I will read whatever is being presented. So, yes, 100%, I read the credits. Go ahead, tell our friends why they should sit through the end credits of Faux. Because in the end credits, they make fun of themselves and make fun of that it is a low-budget film. So, for example, or it's just like production credits to a small shot on video film. What do you need those people for? Did you actually have any? So it starts off, you know, just with key grip, and beside it, it just says, what's that? Uh, which a lot of people, <laughs> like, your key grip on a shot in video film would probably be just be all your grips. And then it goes in to say grips, anyone who wasn't the key grip. One of my favorites is, uh, it says sound, it says whoever was available. And then it said production design, we winged it, which I thought was fucking hysterical. Um, property manager, no property to manage. I had to write these down because I just love them so much. Uh, my favorite though, my favorite was lighting. It said Mike Bent, he held the spotlight, which I thought was fucking hilarious because that makes so much sense. Um, <laughs> and then, like, I think it was the fog. It said, I did some. We all did some. And then I think the music re-recording says, nobody, we never got that far. And that's that. it, it just makes you smile even more after the movie's done and, and, and the credits roll. We're even still having fun. In that in that aspect, that's why I I love Phobe. And this was a newer uh, film for me. So when Se uh, Separate Intervision put this out, and I, I heard about it because it was on, uh, you know, with a lot of my Canadian uh, friends, they would they talked about this movie. And um, my buddy Josh, he 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 mentioned it, Josh uh, Johnson. He said, "Have you ever heard of this movie Phobe?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I've heard of Phobe. I just, you know, there's no way." actually see it didn't he make a, a film about vhs culture yes he made rewind this oh i love rewind this that's the one at one point in the documentary they go to different uh like flea markets and they make a joke about how long it takes to find a copy of titanic i love that fucking movie i love josh johnson all right so whatever he says is right but yeah he he turned me on to this film and then when it came out i was uh happy to see it and then i understood why it has kind of the following it does and i honestly i think what it boils down to is that inspiring filmmakers can relate because i mean we watch movies that inspire us all the time but when when do we get to see a movie that we made in our heads years ago when we were little and I think I think that's what the appeal to phobe is. Brad, when you were little, did you make any VHS movies? Sadly, no. I never made anything shot on VHS. I did shoot three movies, like on DV, like little DV cameras. Acted in one and kind of co-wrote it. And then um, this this will blow your mind. 
and this is for the audience too, because obviously if you're listening, you know who we are, so we can get a little intimate. Uh, do you remember the movie In the uh, In the Bedroom with Nick Stahl and Marissa Tomei? Todd Field. I filmed a sequel to that movie, but this one... <laughs> Hold on, hold on one second. Hold on, hold on one second. I want to hear the Todd Field fucking in the bedroom too, or as well, or whatever sequel. This episode is brought to you by Bad Robot, the Cloverfield Paradox on Netflix right now. Here is the original TV spot. Approximately seven hours ago, something attacked the city. On January 18th. Experience the event that will change everything. We get the hell out of Manhattan. Through the eyes of those Did you see it? who are there. What was that? Still filming? Yeah. People are gonna want to know how it all went down. Cloverfield, rated PG-13. My buddy had this idea. Uh, based off a, a line I said, is I said. Um, he was a big fan of In the Bedroom. Uh, so the Todd, Todd Field made this movie in like 2000, 2001, somewhere around there. Uh, this uh, drama. And like my buddy was going on about it. I watched it because of him. I really liked it. And then I made a joke. I said, you know, they're making a sequel to that. And he said, what? How do you make a sequel to In the Bedroom? And I said, what the hell? He didn't believe me. But I said, it's called In the Bathroom. And it's uh, Frank Fowler's uh, character comes back from the dead, and it's a zombie chasing this guy in a bathroom. And my buddy thought that was such a funny idea, we actually got together and made it. And it was this whole like thing where I played the zombie, and I was like coming out of the lake. And basically, it's this fight scene in the smallest bathroom. So basically, kind of like the fight scene unleashed with uh, Jet Li when he's fighting, like, in the stall. That was kind of, like, how we set it up, where it was just me, f- like, fighting this guy in, in the bathroom. So, yeah, that was my one of the very first things we ever made, which is probably the most bizarre story, if you're familiar with that movie, of anything to make. You would make a sequel to this, like, you know, uh, extremely sad drama. Yeah, that's my life. Uh, yeah, so let's do that. I don't know what you said, but this episode is brought to you by Bad Robot Man, J.J. Abrams, Steven Spielberg, Super 8, Monsters. Go. Sleep till Brooklyn. Hey, what's your what's your favorite movie about a burglar not from heaven? Well, I did see this movie one time where this burglar went to hell. Fucking Hades up in this bitch. I I don't I don't have any more macaroni and cheese, baby. What what do you recommend to eat while I watch Burglar from Hell? 
wait, you ate all the macaroni and cheese? I told you that it was for this entire period. Like, Brad, I am on my fucking period. I am so fucking hungry. I ate all that shit. What should I eat now? Like, at least recommend something to me that's nutritious and delicious and maybe from a tree. Maybe it's an apple. I don't know. Or an avocado. Um, I, one of my favorite little treats is apples and caramel. So get some caramel, get your red apples, and there you go. Slice them up, they're good. That's your little treat for Burglar from Hell. Alright, Burglar from Hell, 1993. Brad, I never heard of this movie until you told me about it back in October when you had a riot on your hands at one of your famous marathons. Tell me about it. Yes. Yeah, I, uh, so, as I've probably said a few times, I'll shorten it up, I host a quarterly marathon, usually, uh, between seven and nine movies for the day, um, have a good, pretty good turnout, usually, like, maybe ten or twelve of us, maybe not twelve, usually, usually around maybe ten, ten people, uh, certain people have been coming to this thing for past, uh, few years now, it started in 2011, so this was, I think, maybe the 25th um, installment, and I started playing some shotgun video films. I think the very first time, and then all my friends, they're, they're, they're great. Uh, they, they love movies. They trust me because I program this whole goddamn thing. I show them things uh, either that they're, that's familiar, that is fun, or something that's just kind of out of nowhere that they have no idea about. And they love movies, but they maybe don't know, well, at the time, shot on video films, because it's before this podcast, before I started showing. So I showed Boarding House. Um, they didn't really care for Boarding House, but I consider it a success, because there's a film that they still talk about almost every time we're together. Every time we make a joke about a movie, anytime they talk about a movie, anytime they tell us, tell somebody, hey, Brad showed this movie at a marathon, it always goes back to Boarding House. And I'm like, well, if you hated it so much... Why do we keep mentioning it every time we're together? Because that's what I consider a success. Because I'll never forget Boarding House. They could probably forget any other number of movies I've showed them. But they'll never forget Boarding House. So I was like, alright, so that was a little fun. I'm going to attempt Burglar from Hell. Burglar from Hell is a newer shot on video film that I discovered uh, uh, early last year. I stumbled upon it. I I got word that they were remaking it in um, this year, oddly enough. So apparently they're remaking Burglar from Hell, which I think is super odd. No, wait, really? They're remaking Burglar from Hell? Yeah, that's what I've heard. Actually, in Tampa, my uh, my second attempt at a shot on video film was Burglar from Hell, and I really enjoyed Burglar from Hell because I laughed a lot during it. Um, it's Burglar from Hell between Boarding House. Boarding House was actually, you know, a production. It made it into theaters, which hardly any. I don't know if any other shot of... Well, I mean, I think Spine went to theaters. But as far as like kind of a wider release, Boarding House was it. So compared to Burglar from Hell, Boarding House is a fucking masterpiece in filmmaking. Burglar from Hell, they literally just had the camera. I don't think they had anything else, like at all, <laughs> to make this movie. I don't even... I don't think they didn't even have lights. But I, I attempted that because I had a lot of fun watching it even myself. Because um, there's always this uh, discussion whether, you know, you see a movie with a crowd, does it make it more fun? I, I do agree with that, but I love watching movies myself, and I still get a kick out of them. I don't need a crowd to tell me to like a movie. And I and I loved it. 
And I thought I had so many funny moments. Well, I put it in uh, for the marathon. We started, we, no, we didn't start yet. We started drinking during it, but it wasn't, I, I pressed play and once it like starts and like fucking Frank the Tank, it's like beating up the old lady and like throwing her down and then like says, oh, my pee pee. <laughs> or something like that. Um, so, like, my friends, like, look at me and they're like, is this serious? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, let, let's watch it. And somebody brought some absinthe over. Um, so they're like, well, it's a good opportunity to drink, start drinking this absinthe. So I paused it. So, like, I think I paused it when I believe it was right after. Uh, the people meeting in the apartment, there are two main characters have these, uh, it's so funny to set up this film because we have two like middle aged, like white guys with these like two younger black guys, uh, completely like, it does not seem like these two would be friends. Um, but they are, and it's great. So we have this, <laughs> this great mix of people. Um, so I hit pause and I think we're like maybe 15 minutes into the movie and everybody notices the remaining time for the film because it pops up on the screen. It's like an hour and 15 minutes left. And like, they're like an hour and 15 minutes. You got to be fucking kidding me. So like I get the absence, we start drinking it. And then there's a scene where uh, it's the spinning on the beach where the couple spins, but they spin for what? Almost a minute? And the camera just like shows like the girl and shows the guy. But it's the same shot over, used over and over. And like the film's fucked up. So you still have like those tracking lines at the exact same spaces. And when I'm saying it goes on for a minute, that's not a fucking joke. And it's almost to the point where it's uncomfortable. At some point, someone says, what the fuck is going on? But it wasn't like a ha ha ha. It was like, we're miserable right now. And it's like, Brad, why are you fucking playing this? Like a sincere, like, why are you fucking playing this? And like, I start to get warm because like, I'm like, oh shit, like people really aren't enjoying this. Like we're even drinking and we're like, I thought we were having fun, but it really felt like we weren't having, like, it, it felt like this is not fun for anybody anymore. All the funny things that I thought were in the movie, no one was laughing at. And then I started, like, even get more uncomfortable, because at least in Boarding House, they cracked up, they laughed. I recently just showed Blonde Death, and, like, I think that everybody loved Blonde Death. Um, they may not think it's a great movie, but they had a lot of fun watching it. Like, the crowd was cringing when we were watching it. They were laughing. Um, you know, they were making fun of certain things. So they had a really great time watching Blonde Death. And I, that, that's a, that was a huge success. Um, but, like, with Burglar from Hell, everybody just seemed fucking miserable. And, like, starting to, like, even, like, two people fell asleep. And I was like, shit. Burglar from Hell is easily, easily, fucking easy. One of the most entertaining shot-on-video horror movies I've ever seen. And that's what I say. Like, I, I even said, like, after I watched it for the first time, I was like, this is fucking great. 
Like, this is so fucking funny. It has so many, like, weird scenarios. Um, but after we had a few things of absinthe, people started loosening up a little bit. But um, throughout the film, people would say, how much longer is this? And, like, when somebody realizes, like, hey, how much longer is this movie? Like, you know that person's not enjoying it. Um, so, yeah, it was just, like, I, I really debated part of me was going to stop the movie and just put on, like, the next one. Because, you know, I want people to enjoy themselves when they're at this marathon because they're fucking... I'm like, hey, be here at 8 a.m. And people, like, get up, like, on a Saturday to be here to watch movies that I've already seen so I can show them. In reality, it's kind of the most ridiculous thing in the world that people do this with me. But I love it. They're my friends. They enjoy movies and they trust me. So that shows you that at least 10 people that are close to me trust me on my um, programming skills. That I'm going to show them something entertaining. Um so yeah, we watched the rest of Burglar from Hell, and they didn't laugh at everything I thought was funny. The only thing I think that they really cracked up in was when Frank Tank meets the two um, kind of like punk-ass people that are across the street that are pissed off that the one girl is like macking up with the other guy, and like they have that fight in the backyard, but he like he throws them, but it's ob- like an obvious rag doll, and it just like fucking goes flying. Um, they laughed at that, but, like, one of my favorite parts of the movie is when, in the very beginning, when, um, their friends come over, and the really hairy guy that's bald, who apparently is in his 20s, uh, that is obviously, like, late 40s, like, pops his head out of, between the shower curtain, he's got the little shower cap on, and he just said, and it's so basic, but I crack up, he goes, hey, where's all the hot water? And I lost it like i love that scene and no one fucking laughed no one laughed at the twisting thing uh no one laughed during the like the uh the social commentary when they almost get carjacked and they start talking like the black people are like we killing ourselves black people like because it's 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 almost like what like why are you saying that it's like black, almost like, hey, these black, all black people were bad because they're killing themselves. And it's like, can we not have the social fucking commentary in shot on videos, Burglar from Hell from like 1993? Um, and so, so what Brad's talking about is this uh, specific scene in Burglar from Hell where the car is about to get jacked. There, so there's, there's a subplot where. The characters are driving around in suburban neighborhoods for an undeterminate amount of time, like not finding the address that they're looking for. Because, you know, of course, this is pre-GPS, uh, pre-Google Maps, etc. And, uh, <laughs> and they, they roll through this neighborhood and they get lost. And a couple young black dudes uh, come up onto the car and it, it, it's like one of those like are you guys lost scenes and uh and the 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 white protagonist in in the driver's seat like it is a feared but there's like a young black couple right yeah it's uh the two 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 guys and token they call her token <laughs> yeah they call her oh my god they call her token 
She's in the back seat, and uh, and they start having a dialogue between the the carjackers and the young African Americans in the back seat of the car. And it turns into like a ten minute long social like dialogue exchange about how black on black crime is like the worst, and they have to stop killing each other. But yeah, that that happens. But one of my f- other favorite things is before they actually get to the carjacking, um, they they film all the dialogue between everybody. But it's obvious that the one guy in the back. They filmed all his dialogue like hours later at night because they're like, it's daytime. But every time he speaks, the camera's like super close up on him. The spotlight is just beaming right into his eyes. It's dark behind him and he's saying his lines. And I'm like, this like continuity, that's, that's fine in shot on video films. I can look past it, but there's just certain things where it's just like, can you at least try to make things work? Like, I get if they don't, obvious, uh, because it's, you know, small budget, whatever, but at least puts forth effort to, to make things complete. But again, that's another reason why I like it, because it gives everybody a good laugh. So, um, our plot. To this film, we we haven't said yet. So, there is a uh, burglar, uh, Frank the Tank. who is going to rob this old lady. Uh, so he goes into her house in the middle of the night, and he uh, actually, like, beats her up. Like, he kicks her when she's down. It's it's kind of brutal. Obviously, it's a little guy that is dressed up as a woman uh, for certain scenes being thrown around. But still, it's like, man, this is fucking, like, kind of crazy. Uh, in the process, uh, old lady fights back, and she kills Frank. Uh, instead of calling the police or paramedics, she bar- buries Frank in her backyard. Uh, and years later, uh, our four people, five people, go to this house uh, for, like, it's a vacation home, I guess. I'm not exactly sure. I don't think it's ever said while they're, why they are renting it. It's very much a sledgehammer thing. I don't know why they're there. Uh, unless I just completely missed it or forgot. But they, like, get it for, like, $15 a day or something like that, I think was what they say. So, uh, they go, they invite some friends over, they have a party, uh, Token does this, like, rain dance thing or something like that, or some type of voodoo, um, and that's what raises, uh, Frank the Tank from the grave, and he's just hell-bent on killing people, and loses his dick in the process, um, so yeah, that, that's pretty much it. I'm more focused on uh, I think it's I think it's Rich when he is getting sick. He has to use the bathroom, and we have like the most what what do you call that? Just like the 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 shit noises that come out the comical I guess most comical noises in like gut rollings that this guy is having sitting on the toilet. And then he's like, it's kind of a gross part of the movie, 
when Frank kills him on the toilet with the shovel and like like poop and like pizza is on the shovel. It's really gross. So Rich is killed on the toilet. His guts come out. Pizza, all the scatological humor, and and Frank the Tank. So let's talk about Frank the Tank for a second. Because I think about Frank the Tank, I googled it, and all I come up with is Will Ferrell. Do you think that the the filmmakers, Todd Phillips, uh, do you think they were inspired to make old, old School from Burglar from Hell? Todd Phillips says in the commentary, in the special edition on the Blu-ray of Old School, the unrated version, he mentions that he saw a film in college... When he made his, like, uh, his, I guess he made a doc back in the day, um, that he came across Burglar from Hell. And he wanted to incorporate that into a horror film. Instead, it became a comedy, and that's where Will Ferrell's character came from. When we talk about shot on video films, uh, everybody thinks cheap, cheaply made. Um, and yeah. Most of them are, but there's a sense of actual filmmaking process that are, that is done. So if you have something like, you know, Spine, that is actually very well made, or something like Phobe, um, there comes this time when everybody was kind of making movies in the 90s. So you have your, like, low-budget shot-on-video films, and people are, oh, that's an oxymoron. No, that's not true. Some shot shot on video films have a good decent budget behind it. They look great. Um, they actually feels like a movie. Then there's like that ultra like raw shot on video films that were made, and this is one of them. Getting out with your friends, one take for everything. Just have your video camera and catch up chicken skin for your zombie makeup. Can I have your skin? Sure. And just like. Nothing. No. No shooting. Not. No. No retakes. No lights. Uh, doing everything just right then and there. Probably filming within like a couple days. That's what Burglar from Hell is. And don't let that like you know deviate from you watching it because that's what makes the movie actually fun. Um, because if it was played serious, it probably wouldn't work. But uh, the way they went about it just makes me laugh. And it was funny, I was having a conversation with another friend who saw Burglar from Hell. And not in the same context, we were talking about something else, and I I knew about them enjoying, like, Burglar from Hell. And they make the obvious comment that a lot of people make, is like, why do you have to remake popular movies? Why do you remake, you know, films that are already loved and don't need to be touched? Why don't you pick a film... That is, uh, you know, that had potential, that never made it, that no one really knows about, uh, and remake that. And then I said, well, they're remaking Burglar from Hell. And they were like, why the fuck would you remake Burglar from Hell? And I was like, because (laughs) all the elements are there to make a good movie. But, you know, here we go. Uh, Years later, we're hopefully it's still happening. I'm not 100% sure. Tampa's weird. Uh, If people don't know... Um, that don't live in the area, but there's like a whole, like, kind of revolution of, uh, I would call it a revolution, 
uh, filmmakers. Uh, I mean, we have Marcus Cook, Cook from the area, who made 100 Tears and, you know, did like the special effects on We Are Still Here, uh, Ted Gagan's movie. Um, and then uh, Stephen Byro is from here, so he owns Unearth Films. They're remaking the, the guinea pig movies right now. I think they've made like four of them. If anybody knows something, the guinea pig movies are from Japan in the 90s, ultra gore, violence movies. Um, so yeah, and Jim Van Bever is, is from the area, uh, who met Deadbeat at Dawn and he's making some other movies. So anyways, yeah, there's like in, in actually the people that released Burglar from Hell on DVD, that's, they're from Tampa. Too bad they're, their uh, companies no, I don't think their companies no longer around. But yeah, there's like this whole uh, Sean Donahue's from here who made like Delta Die Die or whatever, and then um, made a death court service that was uh, semi popular around here. So yeah, uh, Tampa, t- the Tampa Bay area is just like littered with uh, filmmakers, and a lot of their they self distribute very much like how these guys did back in like the 80s and 90s with these shot on video films. So yeah, Tampa's got this huge like little following of uh, of filmmakers, which is pretty cool because I mean a lot of people have actually made it. Like Stephen Byro's now living in L.A. and doing like bigger productions, and Marcus, uh, you know, Cook is doing like fucking crazy things now, and he started out around here. Shit, I helped on One Hundred Tears back in the day. That was like two thousand seven. I hope Burglar from Hell's remade because that would be, this would be the group to do it. Um, so I'm kind of excited about see where they take it. So yeah, there's your history of the, uh, at least there's a couple cool things in Florida. Yeah, Tampa Bay filmmakers, man. So for Brad Freak Flag Flying Henderson, look, hey, listen, man, do I love S-O-V-P-O-D or the Sovpod, as Daddy Drager calls it, because I, I, I can learn about all these new films to, to watch. And I purchased many of my new films today through Grindhouse Video. That's right. I literally bought Phobe from Grindhouse Video in Florida. I could also, of course, get it directly through Intervision or Severin Films. But how, Brad, how may I watch Burglar from Hell? Well, you can get it from Mike at Grindhouse Video, or you can go to thesleazebox.com and um, get it for there for $10 with shipping and handling. And um, this is the company I was talking about earlier. They, you know, all these are pretty much Tampa-made movies. Um, They also have Chip Herman's other two films, uh, Jacker 1 and 2. Maybe I should grab... Hey everybody, so glad you're here. Me and Mike D got something you want to hear. We talk about movies that are shot on tape. We don't love them all, but we think they're great. We got our show on every Friday, and it's always brought to you and funded by our base. We always are in Arby's side. We give plenty of love for the moon pie. Now take it away, my mind, Mac D. We prepared for the S.O.V.
ridiculous rogue nation mission impossible this is a sov podcast while we're doing that 